Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Detour Live. Uh, I'm joined as always by four-time national road champion Johnny Trevorrow and former pro and team bike exchange DS Matt Wilson, who resides up in, uh, where are you now, Noosa? Noosa. Yeah. Uh, how's it all going up there, mate? <laughs> Doing a tough urge. You had a week lockdown, didn't you, the other week? Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Um, <laughs> yeah. We got through it though. Um, out the other side, things are things are looking good for the moment. But like everywhere, we're just walking on eggshells, waiting for the for the next case to drop. Yeah, it's a bit like that now across Australia. But the good thing is, we all know how to get along, particularly the states. I've never felt so connected as a entire country at the moment. It's fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, we don't want to start the show on talking about COVID and negative stuff. Obviously, uh, big stage overnight, Ify, and it was an emotional victory because uh, we all know the story of uh, Fabio Jacobson uh, with his crash at Tour of uh, Poland oh, last year, yep. and uh, yep. fantastic to see him get a, a well-deserved victory, mate. It was pretty special, but he is uh, he is the quickest man here, actually, when you look at uh, uh, the way he's been going of late. But what I thought was really special when he crossed the line was the way that everyone wanted to come up and grab congratulate him, not just his teammates, but, you know, his opposition, even uh, uh, um, Jasper Phillipson and, and, and all the other guys, different countries, just wanted to come up and congratulate him because it's such a... Look, he's a fantastic guy. Maddie could probably comment on that because he'd know him better, better than us. But his story, you know, near-death experience, to come back and come right back to the top is pretty special. What do you think, Matty? Yeah, mate, I don't know him at all, um, actually, Ify. But, um, yeah, I mean, to come back from a crash like that is is impressive. Um, and, yeah, I think everyone was, was, was just wrapped for him to, to see him get there. But is that the thing, Matty, is the cycling community, including the the Peloton and the bunch, I mean, there is this sort of universal support. I mean, you're all competitors, but when you see a victory like that, I mean, that all just teams go out the window. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone knows knows what it's, uh, what it's like trying to be a, a pro and everyone's in the same battles, more or less. So, and uh, yeah, there's a healthy respect there. So people, people know... Um, having a crash like that what's what's involved and and no one wants to see people crash and and hurt themselves like that so to seeing someone come back at that level everyone everyone gets behind it do you think what makes it even more impressive if is the fact that you know it was such a traumatic crash but it was in a bunch sprint you know to get over that sort of mentally and then to not lose sort of the edge because there have been riders in the past that have had a bad crash in a sprint and they're never quite the same rider very true, and pretty hard when you are a road sprinter. You got to come back to road sprinting. Yeah. And I've been reading a lot of his quotes in the lead up, and he says, you know, he's a bit cautious, but he's not scared, you know. And he said, but I always was a little bit cautious, you know. If it was a tight fit, I wouldn't go through it. Like Robbie would just go through the gap no matter what, before or after a crash. That's how he was built. Uh, Fabio says he's not that way, but look. It, it, I think what's most impressive is the fact, uh, you know, that was so serious. It was life, you know, uh, threatening. He was in a coma for quite a while. All the reconstruction of his face. I mean, absolutely. Well, we spoke to Nathan Haas about it, who saw it, and it was traumatic for anyone that witnessed it that was there on the ground. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And and so I think the beautiful story is how he's come back and how, 
his statement just before the start of the race, he's on back in the top six sprinters in the world. So he he, he made the statement. He wasn't nervous around, oh, we'll see how it goes type thing. Take each day as it comes. I hate that crap. No, he came out, made the statement. And he's not a braggart in any way. He just felt that his form was good. He had a couple of great uh, stage wins in the uh, Tour de Wallonne. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And DeMar had perfect lead out. Was going, we know how quick he is. And he just... Waited, waited, and went bang, put, put a length into him. So uh, pretty quick, pretty quick. Now, before the show, you like to think that you're the master at predicting stage winners. You're all chips in on bling. He didn't quite have the speed, and what he put that down to wasn't quite hard enough. Exactly. We, we, we were into uh, – you put the, the map up. We saw that little ramp at the end, and I thought, oh, that uphill – Finish like that is perfect for him, but it was really a sprinter's finish. It was nowhere near as tough as what we we had thought it was going to be. Uh, and there was a big corner in, inside the last about a car and a half to go. That wasn't near as tight as we thought it was going to be either. So it, it, we thought it was going to slow them down. They're going to hit this hill, and it was going to be a really tough man sprint. But it wasn't. It was the fast boys, and uh, you know, Bling's not going to beat them, and he's not going to beat them tonight either. Tonight's. Uh, Dead pan, look, flat as Chit Carter's hat, as they say, <laughs> words to that effect. And um, yeah, uh, and he, he, he just won't beat them, even though Mez Getz is doing them absolutely perfect lead outs. You know, no one's got a big train in this world to like they do at the tour. So the, the, they're all been caught a bit short, but. Uh, Bling's having to do it with just one lead out with Mezgitz, and Mezgitz is great. He just gets him right in the right spot. Every day he's done that exactly right. But, uh, you know, Michael's just not quick enough to beat these guys. You, you might occasionally get a third, fourth, fifth. But when we get to a stage where it is a really tough finish or even tougher coming into finish where they can get spat, that's where Michael will uh, uh, do his thing. Well, Buster's got one for you, Matty. Mez gets look great in the lead out for Bling today with today's stage being a flat one. Is it worth Bike Exchange giving him a chance for this one? Oh, look, Lucas, Lucas fast. He's seriously fast. He's um he, he can win stages himself, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think Bling Bling's been brought to the team obviously to win races and, and hasn't won one uh this year. So I think the pressure will be on him and he's obviously coming to Walter with good form. So I don't I don't see them changing it up. Uh, anytime soon. The interesting thing uh, about tonight's stage is really the wind, though, and that's what that, that's what can play a difference for for them. I think if it's blowing harder than than it's expected. So is that just a matter yeah. of obviously being in good position? But is that better for bling and bike exchange if it is harder? Anything that can throw a spanner in the works and mix things up and potentially eliminate some um, some fast guys is. Is beneficial for, for, for bike exchange for sure. What is the key, Matty? But, but just answering that last question as well, just going over that, it was because someone threw that question in last night. If they try to reverse it, who's going to be who's going to put Mezgets into position? I mean, it's not what Michael Matthews can do. Fighting through the bunch and getting you to the right spot is not what Michael's going to do. So just reversing it. Wouldn't work. That's the other thing we said last but, night. But mm. I was going to say, like the other problem with that is, is the mental effect it would have on Bling, like flipping it round when there is a stage coming up that is a good one for him. I mean, Matty, is it all about trying to keep momentum going and trying to be positive, at, particularly given it's a three-week race? 
Yeah, look, I'm obviously not not involved in the in, in the team plan, so I don't know what their idea is. There's there's plenty of examples of um, of teams with two sprinters mixing it up and giving each other chances. You saw it with Alberson um, during the Tour de France this year. Um, didn't quite work out for them, but um, but yeah, there's plenty of examples of it. But you know, I think given you know Bling's good form and he's come pretty close twice, I can't see them changing it. And and to answer your question about you know, gets getting a a lead out um you know it's not people think it's uh, absolutely essential but there's plenty of examples of guys winning races without a lead out as well mm-hmm. and he is that sort of guy he's crafty he can it's it's almost a hindrance for him having to lead people out to get into position because he's got to he's got to move slowly and he's got to move carefully and he's got to move in the wind and everything's gradual where he's by himself he can just charge through the middle um and put yeah. himself where he needs to be yeah, true, true. <laughs> now, I just wanted to uh, touch, we talked about uh, the respect everyone had for Fabio uh, Jakobsen coming back from his terrible crash. But uh, I've just been going back uh, before we come on air, uh, Maddie, about uh, some of your history, because I can remember you as an 18-year-old ducking weaving the sun tour, almost putting the stage into, I think it was Yarrawonga or Chuka or somewhere like that. Remember that day? Yeah, I do. Yep. I can't remember where it was, but yeah. I think it might have been Yarrawonga. And you, I think I, you, the last roundabout, you come unstuck. But uh, if I remember rightly, that's how close it was. You're up the road. Yeah, I, I jumped away in the last K with uh, Pizix, I think it was, yeah, from, yeah. from Rabobank. Yeah. And um, I led it into the roundabout and just dropped myself. Well, what I was going to get to you, not long after, you were going really well. You were only about 18 then, I think. By the time you a year or so, you're starting to really uh, go well. You got um, Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma, which is a uh, – can you tell us a bit about that and, and, and the challenges you had? Oh, yeah, look, it's a bit of a long story. But um, I guess when I was racing in – I was racing with the under-23 team with, with Shane Bannon in, in Italy – and did a did a few years there, and uh, it wasn't happening back then. It was pretty hard to, to crack into the pros as, as an Aussie, especially in Italy. And um, I gave it away, and I, I wasn't feeling that great. And I went to the doctors a couple of times, and nothing really came of it. And then eventually, I, I went to a doctor who um, saw a lump in my neck and did a biopsy, and it was it was cancer. So um, that was a big shock, and I think it was it was about a year dealing with that in one way or another, um, and sort of got to the stage where I was I was starting to get healthy again. And and uh, by that stage, he had turned pro and he was telling me, he said, you, you've got to come back. It's 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 different now. And I wasn't particularly enjoying what I was doing. So I said, no, that's it. Okay, I'm, I made the decision and I gave, get, get, was going to give it one year. What were you got doing to- at the time that you didn't enjoy? Oh, look, I had several jobs. I was in a bar. I was in a kebab shop. I was in a... Um, <laughs> I <was just> making <laughs> kebabs. Fair enough. You need to get back on the bike. <laughs> nothing nothing sexy, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, got a one-way ticket to Europe. Uh, and a sponsor that gave, gave me five grand right at the end. Um, and I was able to buy my bike and stuff like that to race. And, um, yeah, that was the year I turned pro. What what do you think the key during that period, Matty, in terms of mindset to push through that really tough period? Um, I think in those those few years before cancer, I really had an idea that this wasn't what I should be doing, or there was always doubts. And 
you know, I, I kind of had a feeling that what was on the other side of the fence was better. And um, I think when I got a taste of the real world and, and working and cancer and all those sort of things, uh, it became pretty crystal clear that that wasn't the case. And I also had a mindset after that that I, I didn't really, I, I, I had no baggage. I didn't really care anymore. Like if that could happen and, you know, you could get cancer for being the healthiest person in the world. Well, I, I, it didn't matter to me anymore. I was, I was just going to go out and, and give it a crack. And um, I was a lot angrier a person, I guess, on the bike and a lot happier a person off the bike, um, which made all the difference, especially like when I came back that year, I was racing in Belgium as well, where, you know, if you had you had the balls to do it and you, you wanted it bad enough, you could put yourself in position and, and, and have a go where racing you know, 55 kilogram climbers uh, in the 90s in Italy is was never going to happen. Yeah. We're talking about it. Right. You're Sorry, right. I just, I just say you joined FTJ and Mark Matteo was, uh, and it was like the uh, the Australian uh, mafia in there because it was yourself and Cookie and and uh, uh, and Bradley McGee. Uh, it, it was fantastic. But Mark Matteo was so impressed when he heard that you know you had to sell your car and sell your bike and max out your credit cards just to get to Europe, that he started to use that in his motivational uh, uh, speeches with the riders. Is that correct? Uh, it's the first I've heard of it. <laughs> if that is correct, uh, did he tell you that? Did he? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I thought you might have been a part of it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. First off, right back. That was, that was right back then. Back back uh, when he was in love with the Aussies, he fell out of love with the Aussies for a while. But I think he, they're back now. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there's something in that, you know, like. Um, when you sort of burn your bridges behind you and you've got no plan B and you've got no safety net, I think um, you get a little bit more out of yourself. And, you know, I think that that was certainly happening in my case. And, you know, um, that being said, things that I'm involved with now with development of riders, I'm, I'm going quite the other way. I don't think that's, that's a really healthy uh, attitude to have, but there's certainly something in it. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. You know, your role now is around developing young riders and that. How much has it changed how you have to deal with young riders? We've had Will Walker on and we're talking about how their race programs are different. How much has it changed from when you were a pro to, to the support they get now? Um, it's very different. I mean, the pathways now are very well worn, very, very well trodden. So um, people know how to get there and, and Aussies are very much on the on the map now as far as uh, cycling talent goes. So in, in that regards, it's, uh, it's very different. And it's also very different in the way young riders are treated and young riders are developed. I mean, um, back when I turned pro, even when you turned pro, you were told what to do by the boss and then you did it or you didn't do it and you got blasted and that was basically it. And, um, you know, you had a coach helping you go through and, and if you made it, you made it. Um, nowadays, you've got managers and you've got agents and you've got coaches and you've got well-being people and, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of support and, um, you know, um, but going with that, you know, you're seeing young riders now coming out, you know, 18, 20 years old and, you know, within a year or two or sometimes even in the first year, they're winning, you know, massive races and, People winning Tour of France is in in their first attempt nowadays. If he- I was just going to mention one thing. 
Uh, you were really close with uh, Baden Cook. You, you two were best buds from very early days. He got you back over to Europe and your teammates with him uh, at FDJ and in the, the Unibet uh, team, which looked to be fantastic, but all you know, politics uh, got in the way. But let's go back to last night. Oh, cookie. <laughs> cookie. <laughs> got in, in, uh, Survivor. He got mm. he got uh, I thought yeah you put this bird away uh, in this bloody um, battle battle of bloody strength, but it didn't do that that way. The her lightweight uh, he, he fell off the pole. I, I have been watching it, um, but I haven't seen that episode yet. So thanks, Ify. Uh, <laughs> last night, mate. It was could you imagine? Could you imagine international audiences trying to d- decipher what if he just said? That's <laughs> right. Trying to put this bird away, he got shafted. But John, he he was voted out. He got a second chance. He was doing a challenge, and the challenge was to hold on to a big wooden log, and there was a string of rope around it. Who could hold on the longest? And he was up against uh, a female competitor who weighed half his weight. And she wasn't getting off that thing for at least two hours. Isn't that what I just said? I just said that. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Polish it up, mate. (laughs) So so we've spoiled it for you, but um, uh, how much contact have you had with Cookie um, since this Survivor's landed? Because um, I spoke to him only a couple of days ago and I said, mate, do you get stopped in the street? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, some pretty uh, keen... Uh, Survivor nutters out there, they love it. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's getting recognised all the time. Yeah, we've had a few calls. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely different. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> Was it? Is it weird? Like you've seen early episodes, but it must be weird seeing a guy that you know really well on reality TV. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think it could have gone two ways with, with Baden. You know, like it's. Uh, He's such a personality, such a big personality, and you don't know how 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 the show is going to reflect that. Um, but I think he's he's come across really well, and um, I haven't seen obviously him getting voted out. But um, you know, I, I I knew that he didn't he didn't win it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's it's, uh, it, it's weird, that's for sure. So if he. Uh, let's talk about early days of the Tour of Spain because um, how many times did you get to ride the Fuelta España, Matty? I think three. You directed a couple. Uh, what, what, what were your standout memories from, from that race? Um, always enjoyed it. It was always the most relaxed of the three Grand Tours, uh, which was great. Um yeah, it's always interesting courses. The, the races generally stages a bit shorter. Um, just a just a great tour, really. Mm. And bloody it, hot. <laughs> I remember one year. Um, I think it was two thousand and eleven. It must have been. And uh, there was a team time trial start right down south. Um, forget the name of the place. But my, our start time was eleven thirty at night. Eleven thirty at night. At night. Because it was so hot, and um, <laughs> Julian, Julian Dean actually crashed in the warm-up in the team time trial. Took skin off on every part of his body, and then we're in the south of Spain. It was like forty-five to forty-seven degrees every day, and he's just fully encased in bandages that just stunk. You can smell him coming through the bunch. <laughs> um, was that Garmin? Garmin days? That was with Garmin. Yeah, he just yeah. we're just warming up, and he just swung off to do a turn, and there's a lip on the gutter which he didn't see, and he just ploughed into it at full full speed, took skin off. 
Yeah. Um, ben Jensen's got a comment. He says, G'day, g'day. Good day in G-Town. I've picked up, I've picked Arnold DeMar tonight. Uh, Aaron Buru also a chance. Good paneling in if he's backdrop, by the way. Oh, there, there you go. go. <laughs> uh, and then Free Ranger says, Iffy on My Kitchen Rules, Jonesy on Big Brother and Scooter on Dancing with the Stars. I almost got on the second Big Brother. I got down the last 20. And uh, it was between – I really sold this country character. And uh, it was between me and this other guy, and they picked him. Better looking. Had a six-pack. So it was never a chance. Go for survival next year, Jonesy. Yeah, uh, why not? I know yeah, someone who could get me in. I wouldn't lie. I'd, I'd hate it. I'd hate it because I heard that the conditions there were shocking. And that's the beauty of reality TV, you know, cook the people that you're filming so that you mm. get all the gold. Mm. So anyway, Wendy Superfan says, great news, Sarah Gigante signed for two years with Movie Star, Ify. Yes, I saw that, that uh, announced tonight. And uh, uh, I know that uh, she was in talks with, uh, with Green Edge, but uh, it, it never happened. Yeah, and mm -hmm. she's going to be a superstar, but uh, unfortunately, not with us. So, uh, yeah, two years with uh, with uh, Moby Star. Now, I saw also on the stage, Ify, there was a bit of a spill for the leader uh, with 2K to go. Would have been some nervous moments in the Tarame camp. Well, look, as long as he didn't break anything because it was inside the 3K to go and uh, he didn't look to be hurt at all. So he jumped up and one of his teammates just happened to pull up right next to him and away they just rode into the finish. But uh, I reckon he'll, he'll keep the lead for, for uh, maybe a whole – the next week, actually. Yeah, there's nothing – I don't think anyone's going to be really trying to take it away. But big stage on stage nine. Stage six has got a top – uh, uphill finish, which could be actually this is the, uh, um, tomorrow's stage. That could be good for cook for, for um, uh, bling. Although it might be just a fraction too hard for him. It's about two and a bit k, uh, but it, it, it give him a good chance anyway. And I see uh, Banal has said in Cycling News, you know, he rejects the sole leadership position. What's your take, Matty, on Ineos's approach, where you have you know multiple leaders and yeah, you know, does it really matter at the end of the day in terms of how other teams do their tactics? Oh, of course it does. Um, that's how you that, that's how you figure out your tactics by knowing uh, what what other teams are going to do. Um, yeah, look, I, I I don't think they've got multiple leaders there this year. I reckon they're riding for Banal pretty clearly. I mean, Carapaz can't have the form that he's had through the tour, then Olympics, and then carry that on through the Vuelta. So. He put a line through his name. Um, so it's just really Yatesy and Bernal there. But, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see as time tells. But I, I think they're going for Bernal. Mm. Yeah, I've got if a feeling it might be Yatesy. I, I, Adam Yates is actually in very good form. And he sees himself just for this. He hasn't ridden any other Grand Tour. Uh, mm. He sees himself for this. Uh, and um, the only reason he's not in front of Bernal now is the 30 seconds he lost uh, in, in that stuck behind that crash uh, mm. on, on stage two. So uh, I, he looks very good. He was attacking up the climb the other day. Um, yeah, I, I, it'll be one of those for sure, whoever's got the form. There's nothing wrong mm. with having a couple of guys. Um, it didn't work for the Tour de France, but no matter who they picked at, at the start of the Tour de France, it was going to work. Um, just jumping all over the shop again, in terms of memories that you had during the whole Green Edge period, Matty, what are, what are some of the ones that really jump out at you, either as a rider or as a DS? 
Oh man, I think um, all those early days, those those first three or four years, um, were just incredible. Just incredible team to be a part of. Um, I guess you know we sort of dreamt our whole careers that we would have an Aussie team at some point, and just to have had that um, at the end of my career was just an amazing thing to be a part of. The fact that we had such a successful year. It was just like we just we mm. couldn't believe it, you know. And and you know, for the most part, that has continued every year. Every year's just 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 been um, it's been amazing as far as results go. But um, no, I, I remember back too to some of those early you know tour of California's and stuff that we did. Went over oh. and just, <laughs> How had, awesome. had a blast and and you know winning stages and it was just just some good times there. Remember that day I cracked the shits with the mechanic because he ate all those lollies and he, he denied doing it and I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And then uh, I just remember how good the every race gives you like a lunchbox. See, I remember the food. And in California, they give you those big cookies, you know, massive rolls. Like the portion sizes were always out of whack. And then that, that coffee at the breakfast table, it's like, it was like tar. The caffeine levels were just... You'd be wired for like four or five hours. The Starbucks, other great days. I just remember opening um, glove boxes or little corners of the car, wherever I was, and everything that I opened, lollies would fall out. Lollies <laughs> yeah. would, so, and Jonesy in there just just stocking the car up with <laughs> junk food. But oh, mate, I can't believe you didn't mention bloody Matty Heyman's Roubaix. Well, I, was about, I was about to say that because it, that yeah. the vision of that you got in the car was pretty special. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, look, even the Tour de France where um, they won a team time trial and a couple of stages there and Daryl and um, mm -hmm. Gero in the yellow jerseys, I wasn't even at that tour, but that just stands out in my mind. It's one of the most you know unbelievable moments. And I mean, Mat Matty Heyman's Roubaix win was a, a highlight of my whole career, let alone um, just the team. Do you still to this day shake your head going, I still can't believe that that happened? Yep. I still get goosebumps. Just to, as soon as I start talking about it, I just get goosebumps. It's um, it's one of those stories in sport. I, I don't know that anyone really, you know, except the people that are probably close to it, understand how ridiculous that was. What happened there, um, and just how I don't know, fated it was that it was always going to happen. His whole career just sort of moved towards this one point, and it, that, that this day just happened where, you know, he was just in this zone. It was just. You know, just an amazing thing to witness. But how close was he to not even getting a start? Wasn't it between him or Chris Yul Jensen? Like, can you remember that conversation where you look back now, sliding doors? That could have been huge. Oh, yeah. No, look, I and I was talking to um, Lorenzo Lepage, the director there as well, and uh, deciding what we we're going to do. And it was basically between him and uh, Chris, and we knew what. Maddie could deliver, you know, for at least half of the race. You know, he's one of the most experienced guys in the bunch, knows the race. He's going to be super valuable to that point. But then he was not going to be there in the back end. There was just no chance where Chris would be there in the back end, but be, you know, not as useful throughout the race as, as Maddie would be. So it was a real 50 50 shot. We even got to start. Mm. And what swung it Maddie Haven's way? What, what convinced you in the end? I don't know. In the end, um, I can't, I can't remember what pushed us over to, to choose Matty, but like I said, it was it was a coin flip decision, basically. Yeah. And, 
And obviously, like, you know, I've, I've watched the bloody backstage pass about a million times. Whenever you need a quick pick-me-up, it's always the uh, the gladiator music that gets me. It's like, oh, every time. But uh, it's that scene when he's off the back and your brain's going, oh, well, he's going to finish top five or six. Awesome. Yeah. It, was that the moment when he got back on the first time you actually entertained, oh, hang on, hang on, what is going on here? There was, there was the only point where I believed he was going to win it was the second that he hit out on that balladrome. The second that he started that sprint, I was like, I went, oh, my God, he's won it. I just knew immediately at that point that he wasn't going to get beaten. But until that point, I gave him the last person in that group chance of, of, of getting that position. So until that point, he was coming third. And then when he was in that final, he was going to be top 10. And then before that, it was maybe he's going to be top 20. I never gave him any any chance, but he 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 owned it. He, he knew that he was going to race it from the heart and uh, that he had the legs to do it. It was brilliant. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. How I, often I actually did... thought he was going to win it. I thought he was going to win it on the uh, approach into the velodrome when he caught uh, a Boonan and went by him and then, you know, and then Boonan tried to get on and couldn't get on. And, and if he hadn't have... He, he didn't realise he'd actually had him spat. He, could, he would have won it alone. But he just sort of eased that fraction of and got on, then the two of them mucked around, the others got back. But mm. he was the strongest in that in that little area just before they dropped into the velodrome. It was amazing. When you look it's, back at it, you can see it, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's he's a guy that um, is a is an overthinker. Like, he, 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 he thinks about everything. Nothing just goes from the gut. It's always thought through and thought about later and everything, and this is... You could see at moments like that that he was not thinking it. He, he, he just felt that was a time to go and went. Um, even the time where he attacked Solo, 60K to go. Um, you know, it's yeah. madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's Did it, At that point, you, your faith in the cycling guys would have just been through the roof in terms of oh, like yeah. writing a script. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was ready to dust off the bike and make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you just you just touched touched on something there, Maddie, which is so so true. With, with Maddie Heyman, he used to overthink it too much, and because the Pararo Bay was so important in his life, all those years he'd raced it, got better and better at it, but you know, never quite got there. But I used to think he put himself under too much pressure, and for this is the first time he he didn't have any pressure on him because mm. of all the, all that had happened, and mm. it probably was. Was a blessing in disguise because if he hadn't had that question on it, he probably wouldn't have won it. Oh no doubt, absolutely no doubt. Um, the crash is the best thing that ever happened to him. That that, that head fault crash. So, um, but even that, it, it, even that story, people could comprehend to have broken your arm six weeks out and have been the next day on the trainer and to have trained like he he did for something that was technically impossible. Like mm. was that. It was technically impossible. No one could have thought that that was <laughs> like to, to have even done that and done that work is just mind blowing. Let alone actually do it and turn up and win and and you know that that that, that doing that not only gave him uh, a different sort of engine that he'd never had before because he was rested and that he'd done the intensity and, and different things like that, but it allowed him to take the pressure off himself and just mm. and just roll. I can still remember everyone was just so wrapped he was starting. 
the bit leading into the race, people were patting me on the back going, oh, mate, it's great you're going to start. You know, what an effort. And I remember the night before he looked at me and goes, mate, my, my form, I feel good. I, I feel good. And I'm like, whatever, mate. <laughs> yeah, you broke your arm six weeks ago. Hey, bloody I, talking I, crazy. I just remember him sitting in the bus and it was like 10 minutes before the start and he had his feet up on the back of the seat and he was just sitting there on his phone laughing and doing a message or something. I'm like... I like normally he's up and down and moving around and you know a lot of nervous Great. energy. Super, yeah. super relaxed, and um, we had a bit of a chat about it and said, "Oh, you know, you, you don't have a lot of attacks in you, so just if it hasn't gone after about eighty or ninety k, just give it one good go." And uh, sure enough, it went eighty or ninety k. And at a certain point, he just came back with his jacket and said, "All right, I'm going in the break." <laughs> just chucked the jacket in the car and went directly across to the break. It was like. It's, it's yeah, just hiding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember being at the finish line there, and there was about eighty k to go, and he was in the break, and we were at this uh, having lunch, and my mum was so excited, she was going, "Oh, Maddie's in the break, how good!" I said, "Mum, it's just for TV. Yeah, they'll get caught. Don't <laughs> worry about it." And then, no, nah, I think he's got a chat, Mum. Mum, you don't know cycling. Pot down. Then, <laughs> sure enough, come from you, Josie. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hey, uh, let's have a let's have a quick uh, word from the sponsors, and then we'll wrap things up after that. Uh, so let's have a quick video from Bike Exchange and the Amy Giller Foundation. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. Three hundred and seventy-four people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year, we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling, whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting, or even to start your own cycling career. We need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalized and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So, the next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable and we all deserve to get home safely. 
Please donate to help the Amy Gillick Foundation make the road safer for you and for me. Thanks again to Bike Exchange and great words there from the Amy Gillick Foundation. And we're joined by Julian Dean, Team Bike Exchange DS, who's live at the Vuelta at the moment. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jules. How's the mood in the camp, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, uh, Jonesy. Um, out in Albacete today, heading across towards the uh, Mediterranean. So uh, Albacete, notoriously famous for uh, for windy conditions uh, in the Vuelta. Often splits coming in here, so there could be some exciting action coming in later. Well, mate, we've just heard stories from the great Matt Wilson, who's on the show still, and uh, he shared the one about you bidding it at the 11.30pm time trial in 2011. <laughs> what do you remember uh, of that day? <laughs> I remember it was hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, slight misjudgment on my part in that uh, team time trial warm up there. And uh, yeah, paid the price of that time again. If you... <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, we've, we've missed you the last couple of days, uh, uh, Jules. Um, yeah, look, uh, not a bad sprint uh, last night from Michael, but uh, we, we, I, I picked him to win. I thought it was a harder finish than what it turned out to be, and I thought it might have really suited Michael, but it ended up being uh, just a sprinter's finish anyway. Uh, and he's just just not quite quick enough to beat the, the fast boys. But again, Mez Getz did a brilliant job in getting him right to the right spot. Yeah, those boys, um, the whole team did, did really well. It's a bit of a benign day, um, really. Um, and then, yeah, it was all, all about the sprint. But as you said, you know, those sorts of sprints. I mean, Michael's up there with, with those guys, but, you know, he doesn't have that last um, little bit that those pure sprinters have got. But uh, all the same, good good ride by Michael. Um, and as you said, Luca, um, you know, he's done did a fantastic job uh, all to the France, and uh, he's, he's doing a great, great job here, and he's certainly showing himself to be one of the, the best in the world at the moment at that role. Uh, we've got some inside info from the wheel, wheel Wizard. He says, guys, the organisers have mapped the stage for the win eight times. It is finished in this town. Uh, there is only more than 10 riders. Uh, there are three changes of directions in the last 70Ks. How big is the win going to be today, Jules? Um, in the beginning, it's it's not too significant, but um, we sort of pretty much stay the same direction. At 50, 50K to go, we take a 90-degree turn to the right into the headwind, and then at 30K to go, uh, so we've got 20k to headwind and 30k to go. We turn left, and the wind is the strongest point um, with 30k to go, and it uh, becomes direct crosswind. All big roads uh, today, um, but when we turn at 30k to go, there that's the wind that's strongest, and it's uh, around 24, 25k an hour, which is uh, you usually say, you know, when it gets around 20k an hour, it becomes quite dangerous in terms of like splitting the race. So we're getting above that 24, 25, it's certainly going to be stressful. Now, who's got your old role? Because you were the wind specialist back in the day, the ability to get the right grass and the right flick in the air. Who, who have you got up the road for you, given any sort of updates? Uh, we've got uh, a Andrew Smith here, who's uh, who's doing the barn course for us and uh, checking out the wind conditions. But technology's uh, upgraded um, since then. And, uh, <laughs> budgets budgets allowed for us to invest in some wind meters. So, uh, oh, yeah, wow. no grass in the area. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was really the grass whisperer, you know, I was the only one that had the chance <laughs> for selecting, selecting the right grass. And as much as I tried to teach people, they just didn't get it. So, we had to invest in the wind meters. 
What's uh, what's the main focus over you know the next couple of days, mate, uh, for the team, particularly with uh, these type of stages? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you still got to keep keep chipping away, and although these these like I said, these you know flat days and and big bunch finishes aren't ideal for Michael, you've got to give the guys tasks to do every day, keep them engaged. You know, the wind's the factor today, so um, making sure we've got good position at critical moments is is key. Uh, but tomorrow we head down towards Valencia. Uh, we've got an uphill uh, two-kilometre finish tomorrow. And then we've got a couple of real nuggety days that are, that are going to be hard after that. So, um, you know, the, the, the style and the format of the racing is really going to change um, after today. I think we can see some much more aggressive racing, uh, maybe some more changes in the, in the leader's jersey coming up in the next few days as well. Mate, that's your old neck of the woods. You have a lot of local support, a lot of insider knowledge. Yeah, coming um, t- tomorrow's um, tomorrow's stage finishes right down um, near where I live, sort of about twenty k's away, and then we start in the town where uh, where I lived when I was living over over in Europe in Gandia. So uh, yeah, definitely be a, f- a few um, of the local fans out there cheering the boogeyman <laughs> on. <laughs> now, now tomorrow's finish. It's got a two k climb. Is it too hard for Michael, or would he, or, or could he, could he win on it? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, we've had some pretty um, good discussion amongst our performance staff um, the last couple of days about uh, Michael's capacity to be able to, to win that um, uphill finish. It was in Walter Valencia last year, I think, um, when Podgecar won. Um, so it is, it is a significant climb. It's, it's 2Ks, around 8 or 9%. Um, so it's... Yeah, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on how the stage goes beforehand. But, you know, we've got to give Michael a chance and try. And if we get him in good position and he has a good run-in, um, there's, there's, going to, there's definitely a chance that he can contest that finish tomorrow. That, that, that uh, sprint, he, that, you know, stage two, Tour de France, the ride he did up that, that was bloody hard. And he was magnificent that day. Yeah, and, and that's, a, you know, that's definitely a, a good benchmark. Um, this climb is uh, probably... A, a touch harder than that stage two of the Tour de France, um, but the, the stage itself is probably a, a bit easier. So, um, so yeah, I, I think definitely. I mean, the one thing we're going to have tomorrow is that um, you know the the GC guys. I, I don't think are really going to, you know, they're just going to want to arrive on the climb probably in good in good position and won't be too stressed about. Um, about trying to take time out of each other, so it may not be raced full gas that climb. And if that if that happens, that's certainly going to play in our favour. You're talking about GC. Who do you think's the real leader of Ineos, Bernal or Adam Yates? Um, probably depends who you ask. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I think Adam is definitely going going good. He's he was looking good on that. Um, stage three there, but um, you know I think Bernal has has got the track record. He's got the performance over three weeks, which um, Adam has been good on a few occasions, but not the consistency that um, that Bernal has shown. Yeah. Anything you want to fire into the old boogeyman, Matty? Yeah, mate. How's it going over there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, missing you, mate. Missing you, but um, yes, you. no, things things 
if things are going well, we've got a new TV in the bus this year, Matt, so the presentation is wow. much better. So you'll be happy to know Finally. about that. <laughs> <Yeah. Finally. laughs> you got Wi-Fi yet? Yeah. Drop you got Wi-Fi? Drop down screen that, or is it a drop down screen? No, nah, we've just got a, a bigger TV screen that they've um, just put in down the end of the bus and it uh, works good. Yeah, so uh, much much That's better um, pixelations as well. Yep. Finally. Yep. That, that would have been awesome for those mm. fail army videos I used to love cranking up on the drive back. <laughs> just people binning it on their BMX bikes and stuff like that. That was always good. <laughs> Michael Jordan's yeah, top yeah. 50 highlights anyway hey we won't hold you up mate um, anything you want to fire him before he goes Ify no no great to have you back on board pal and uh, uh, look forward to uh, uh, the action today good, good, wish all the boys good luck uh, let's hope those wins spring up and uh, we spit those sprinters out the back yeah we'll do good thanks guys we'll catch you next couple of days Join you, Jules. see you mate Julian Dean, great to have you on the show. Um, now, before we let Matty go, if you want to talk about, don't mention the Bakerits, please. What do you well, want to talk about? I wanted to go before we, we, I wanted to go back to those early days, and, and uh, he did a great stage win of the Bakerits. Now that you reminded me, uh, uh, I think it was Port Arlington, wasn't it? When you when, when you had a great win there, Matty, is that right? It was yes. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to go back to the uh, uh, Herald Sun tour because, of course. You know, you've been uh, um, a DS with uh, with Jerry Ryan's team, with, with, with Green Edge, Team Bikers Change, as it is now, up until this year. But the whole uh, pandemic um, meant you, you had to be based back here and it just made it too hard. So you sort of uh, put that on hold and you're running your own uh, team. But let's go back to, to uh, Errol Sartell. Was it 2007? Seven. 2007, that's right. Um, and I remember... You know, it was an important race for, for Jerry. He was the sponsor of it, uh, and, and and you were in his Jayco team. Just take us through that because it was a pretty special time. Yeah, it was. So um, I'd had a horrific season. Um, I, I only did about 30 race days, I think. I, I just had three crashes, three separate crashes, and broke bones every time, had a big comeback. And Anyway, that was the year that Unibet had folded, the team that I was riding for, and uh, a few other World Tour teams all had folded that year. And um, I was basically, because I hadn't raced, I was basically left with no contract. So I'd come back to Australia and the Sun Tour was my last race and um, I was training really hard for it. And I, was, I remember speaking to Cookie about it before saying, I'm actually going really good. Like I, <laughs> I'm, um, I feel great. And there was a climb directly out of, I think it started at Bendigo and there was a, a uh, six or seven K hard climb straight out of town. And uh, I just said to Cookie, I'm just going to go full gas um, on this first climb and just see who's left at the top. And um, we did that and got over the top. There's about 10 of us in the group and, and that's the group that won the tour. We rode, rode away and I ended up winning the stage um, solo into Nagambi, wasn't it? If you'd remember. Be. I, think, I think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't Nagambi, yeah. Yeah. And there was a, and there, I remember there was some drama one day where, where one of your main opposition, uh, it might have been into Benalla, was it? Or no, or no, Wangaratta. That's right, it was into Wang. And um, yeah, he got into the, he, he used the, the car into the convoy and they, and they, they rubbed him out. That, so that helped a little bit, if I remember rightly. Who was that? Do you remember? No, yeah, I think it was into Wangaratta. Um, 
if yeah. I remember. Yeah. But um, we we're going for time bonuses because it was so close against his duchy. And um, it, there's a lot of Aussies, uh, all pros that were there in different teams. And uh, everyone, everyone was, was rooting for me to win. So we're coming into these um, time bonuses. And I had like a nine-man lead out. And it was like... Cookie was there and then McEwen and Gatesy and we had Hank Vogels and, you know, all these all these top all-tour pros just lining the bunch out, leading me out for these time bonuses. I could barely get over the wheel to get the, to get the seconds. And then um, at one of those particular ones, we actually dropped the, the duchy and then uh, that's when you used the cars and got rubbed. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit rough on the poor duchy. <laughs> Never had now, a chance. I remember it all, it all came down to the final day in at uh, um, in the gardens there off St Kilda Road, and they had a time trial and then the final stage. And so the time trial, um, individual time trial around, the only short one, but I remember that was that put a lot of pressure on you because you weren't a, you weren't a bad time trial, but wasn't your uh, your specialty. Um, you you were a bit nervous on the start line there. I remember. I was really nervous. Um, the best thing that happened to me there was it was on road bikes. We weren't allowed to ride time trial bikes. So, um, and I, I, I wasn't a good time trialer, so I didn't ride my time trial bike at all. But I was good on the, good on the road bike. So I just remember just, just doing every corner 150 times until I knew exactly how fast I could go through it and just took every, every shortcut I could to just save every second. And yeah, I can't remember how much I beat him by in the end, but it wasn't much, it was a handful of seconds. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I remember it just being. I remember Jerry being so excited. I that we that you know he was sponsoring uh, the race and it was his rider that won. But B because it was you, it was something that, it was even more special. So uh, yeah, I remember it being a really really special day. And I remember uh, uh, Val being uh, just even more excited than, than Jerry. It was a pretty special day actually. Yeah, it was. I remember coming across the line in the time trial and Cookie was crying, jumping up and down in the middle of the road. And <laughs> um, yeah, my whole family was there. And I actually saw photos of it recently and Jerry was handing me the trophy. I just couldn't believe how young I looked and but how young Jerry looked too. Like we're both <laughs> we've aged 40 years since then. So give us a, a bit more insight in what you're doing now because um you're not just helping sort of supporting these young riders you're also looking to do some events as well yeah yeah so um with the pandemic i mean last year i did be away for sort of three and a half months from the family and it was just not really um it's not possible to do it this year so so one door closes and another one opens and it's just given me a, a great chance to, to dig into to my development team, which is here, which is the Australian Cycling Academy and spend some more time on that. Um, and we're, we're able to branch into some events as well, um, which is exciting. It, some, I've got to get my head read sometimes going into events in a pandemic, but um, the first one almost went off uh, without a hitch. That was the Noosa Enduro. And then um, we've got another one coming up in uh, just uh yeah towards the end of the year in december uh which is an nrs tour called cycle sunshine coast you got a website you want to plug maddie yeah you can jump on acacycling.cc and uh yeah you'll see the events you see cycle sunshine coast on there and then noosa enduro is just noosa enduro.com it's a mountain bike and gravel event um which is yeah pretty spectacular here in noosa uh good stuff mate
well, I'm sure you're going to be successful because you've had a great cycling career and both as a rider as a, as a DS. Um, so, yeah, no doubt, whatever you touch is going to turn to gold, mate. Thanks, James. Johnny, Maddie. Yeah. Hey, it's mate. Great, great, great having you on the show, pal. Great having you on the show, Maddie. Um, fantastic. Great reliving some of the old memories and that there. And we'll no doubt check in again soon, mate. Thanks, guys. Good on you, Matty. Matty Wilson, absolute legend. Uh, now, a bit of housekeeping, Johnny. Uh, we've yep. got the uh, silent auction that uh, we want to talk about. And before we do, let's show a quick clip from uh, to just paint the picture of where you could be. We're going, to need, we're going to need someone to do a voiceover with this because I'm sure people who are uh, doing the podcast who aren't watching it are going, well, we'll what's going on here? We'll get filled with <laughs> it. We, should, we will. We will. We'll get filled with it. Actually, we'll put it out there. Can you please write a script and uh, we'll get Phil to read it? Saves, yep. saves us having to do it. But anyway, if you are watching this, enjoy the images from the Amila Resort in the Maldives. Now, I've got news updated because a few people have asked, you know, what are what are the details of what's being offered? And it's the poolside uh, villa resort uh, room and it's for five nights and it's for two people. And Jace, he's a great guy. He said, look, if you've got two kids, I'll, we can accommodate them as well. And it's valid till 19th of December 2022. But if there are dramas... And with the pandemic and you can't get there, I'm sure if you talk to them, you'll be able to work something out. There's not a problem. So yeah. I've, um, had, I've had a couple of inquiries who were asking for a bit of those details and also asking if airfares were included. I said, no, they're not included. But um, so I've had a couple of other people wanting to get these classified. So I'm sure we'll get some more uh, um, um People uh, bids. applying bids, uh, as we mm. say at the moment, it's up to two thousand dollars. But hey, it won't be going for that. It is worth valued at thirteen thousand dollars Australian over thirteen over yeah. thirteen and a half. So yeah. email John at cyclingevents.com.au, and of course, we're trying to raise money for the Kareka Foundation. Uh, that's kareka.co.za forward slash peloton. Joins join Phil's peloton. Uh, it's a great course. Um, is there any other? So when are we going to start giving away tickets to Amy's Grand Fono, Ify? Yep, we're going to do that in the next couple of days. I'll still, you and I have to talk to uh, Katie Brown tomorrow, do a little bit of yep. housekeeping, uh, but she wants to uh, to uh, offer some. And as we met, brought up uh, last night, um, we are going to uh, get a detour peloton, uh, mm. the, the D2 are desperate or something. I can't remember what's something else, I think. Uh, yeah. uh, at uh, Amy's uh, um, Grand Fondo, uh, the Amy mm. Great Ocean Road Grand Fondo. Uh, so uh, anyone who wants to enter, jump on, on board to, uh, to Amy's ride. Uh, amygillard.org.au. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, it does, uh, and it wants to be a part of our detour uh, desperates. Um, mm. Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun. We're going to get some jerseys made up, uh, Nick's also, if, if people want them. Uh, and uh, yeah, 
Look it's going to be a laugh. It's definitely going to be a laugh for sure. I mean, if I'll get on an e-bike and yeah, I probably won't walk for a week, but I'm willing to do it for a good cause. Great ride. Get involved. Um, thanks again, Ify. Thanks to Matty Wilson. Thanks to Julian Dean. It's a great show. Who's your final pick for the stage tonight, John? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, um, I, it's going to be one of the sprint boys. I, I, I actually uh, think that uh, he can make Fabio uh, can make uh, make it two in a row. But mm. if the winds really do spring up, it, it could be a Michael Matthews. But I'm, I'm hoping for Michael Matthews tomorrow night. Mm. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll be back again at the normal time tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And as we always say, I should have said it at the top of the show, I will tomorrow. Like, share, subscribe, <laughs> youtube.com forward slash the Detour Podcast. Thanks again for all your support, guys. Keep telling your mates. Keep spreading the word. It does help, and we do appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow.